Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. I truly believe there's no better place to be. The only place that's going to be better than this is when we're in heaven together one day. Amen. But it's awesome to know that we don't have to wait to get to heaven to be in the presence of God together. We can come together like this each and every week and we can gather together in the presence of God and um, it's just an amazing thing. And so I commend you this morning for for being here. You know, um, Pastor last week mentioned that the kingdom of God is more than just talk. It's more than just talk. I mean, obviously he said we talk about the word, we talk about the kingdom of God, but it's more than just talk. It's, it's our lives that are living in the power of God. Amen. There's action to it. We know that the Bible says that faith without action is, it's dead. It's alone. It's, it's pointless. It produces nothing. Amen. And so today I just want to encourage you for just a moment before we get started here is that, hey, don't just be here today. Respond today. Amen. Respond today. Respond to the word of God um, as, as it's spoken to you. Because listen, the only way that you're going to see change in your life and transformation in your life is not just by listening. It's but by responding to what you hear, by responding to what you're listening to. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you with that uh, this morning is that we're not just going to talk the kingdom. Let's live the kingdom. Right. Let's live it out today. Amen. You know, two years ago, um, my family and I uh, moved and transitioned from Florida to West Virginia, and uh, we bought some, some property in the country, and we were ready just obviously for something brand new to live out in the country. Now, I know nothing about living in the country because I was raised in Florida, even though I was from West Virginia originally, and we came back here, um, and this was a place that I called home all of my life. We came back at least once or twice a year to visit family. Um, and so forth. I really didn't know anything about living in the country. And so obviously we're excited about living in the country. But one thing that we were a little concerned about that we didn't have any knowledge of was black bears. Now in Florida, you know, we have sharks and we've got alligators. And I know that that's on the mind of a lot of people that go and visit the state of Florida. You get that a lot from vacationers and stuff. They're worried about going to the beach because of the sharks. And then of course, I've had lots of conversations with some of you when I first moved here about alligators. But you know, when I'm growing up in Florida, I'm not thinking about sharks and alligators. They just become normal and they become common to you because you see them a lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> At least I have anyway. And and um, I've, I've hunted them. I've gone fishing for sharks. I've, I've hunted uh, for alligators. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But one thing I'm not very familiar with was black bears. And so living out in the country, we wanted to make sure that we actually knew some stuff, uh, you know, just to what to expect about black bears, safety, things like that, especially for our, our kids uh, that would be running around on the property, uh, maybe without our presence there. Maybe we're in the house, they're out running around. Maybe they go in the woods, whatever else. And we just wanted to know a few things. So I would have some conversations with people when we first moved here about, about black bears. And of course, everybody's got their own opinion. <laughs> and some of it sounds similar and some of it not so much. And uh, I remember this one person uh, said to me, they said, well, hey, listen, most bear attacks happen when you're alone. So it's better if you go together. It's better if you go together. 
And uh, I remember that uh, it wasn't too long after they told me that. We weren't living on the property yet, but uh, I went up to the property by myself to, to mow. And I was trying to just keep the, the grass down and things of that sort. And uh, as I'm driving up the driveway, I notice uh, something moving in, in, in the tall weeds as I'm coming up the driveway. And, and, and I saw that it was black, but I couldn't really see what it was. And so my first, uh, my first thought was, oh, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hog. Now, I don't know if you guys have hogs in West Virginia, but in Florida, you have hogs, okay? And so I thought, oh, it's a hog. And then I just kind of stopped for a moment, and I looked, and then it just kept moving. And then finally, it got up on the ridge a little bit, and then it turned, and it looked at me, and it was a black bear. And it's the first time I had seen a black bear since I, I moved to the state of, of West Virginia. And I thought to myself, oh, no, what do I do now? Because it was staring at me as, as I was staring at him. I wasn't sure who was going to make the first move, but it just sat there and was staring at me as I'm looking out my window, staring at it. And I, then I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I'm safe. I'm in the car. I grabbed my, my camera. <laughs> I'm taking pictures. I thought the kids would thought it would be pretty cool that I saw a black bear on the property. But then I thought, well, I got to go up and mow. And I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy mowing my grass and I enjoy having that time with the Lord. And so I'll put, you know, headphones in and stuff like that. And I'll listen to music and I'll pray and stuff like that while I'm mowing grass. Uh, but the problem is, is that I'm distracted while I'm mowing and I can't hear anything because I've got headphones in my ear. And so I remember when I went up there, the whole time that I'm mowing, man, I was a nervous wreck. I was sitting there like looking over my shoulder like this the whole time thinking like, where's that bear? Because it was like right on the property right below me and it was going up the hill where I was at. Uh, but you know, isn't that true at life is that we're better together than we are apart? It reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine and 12. It says two are better than one for they can help each other succeed. Two are better than one because they can help each other succeed. Did you know that you are designed to help other people succeed? You're designed by God to help other people be successful in life. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Now, I love this. They can reach out and help. You know what that symbolizes? Closeness. Closeness. Because how, if somebody falls, how can you reach out and help them when they fall if you're not close by? It symbolizes a closeness. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together, again, you hear, see that word close, close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can conquer. Three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily, is not easily broken. I love this, is that we're designed to not live our lives alone. We're designed to live our lives together. That two are better than one. And then it even goes on at the end of that and it says even three are better, four is better, five is better, six is better. We're better together than we are apart. Is anybody excited or happy that you have somebody in your life? It could be a family member. It could be a friend, somebody in your life. Would you say today that your life is better as a result of friendship? Let me see your hands all over. Yeah, every, every one of us, right? That is the truth. You know, when we started this year in January, pastor um, took us through a series called For the Kingdom. It was a very powerful series. If you missed any of that, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. But he encouraged us through the word of God, that our lives are to be lived for the kingdom. 
that when we come to Jesus Christ, we're not trying to conform the Bible to our life. We have to conform our life to, to the Bible, to the word of God. And that, listen, that we only get one shot at this while we're on this earth and that everything that we are to do, it's supposed to be for, for the kingdom. And one of the words that the Lord gave our pastor this year for 2024, and we, you've heard it a lot and you're going to continue to hear it. And I know some people don't like things to be repeated, but guess what? Vision leaks. And as long as vision leaks, it's got to continue to be put before people and spoken about. Amen. But in 2024, the Lord told our pastor that this is our year to be fruitful and to multiply, to be fruitful and to multiply. And you know, I have really been trying to lean in on that and zero in on that for my own life, for my own family. And, and, and I want that in my life this year. I want it not just to be something that sounds good at the beginning of the year. I want it to be a reality, not at the end of the year, but throughout the year. Can you say amen to that? And so obviously I was thinking about that, that, that phrase, to be fruitful and to, be multi, to, to multiply. And one thing that hit me is that Fruitfulness and multiplication are really byproducts of relationship. They're byproducts of relationship. Connection to God and to connection with other people because it's really impossible for someone to be fruitful and to multiply by themselves in isolation. Did you know that the first, the first problem found in the Bible was not sin? The first problem found in the Bible was isolation. If you look at Genesis chapter one, in Genesis chapter one, we've got an overview of creation week. We know that obviously that God, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, he rested. So we know that, that God created uh, uh, everything from the very beginning. And so chapter one is an overview account of, of creation. And what's interesting is day one, he, he creates light. He creates day and night, and, and God says, what? It's good. Day two, uh, the sky, it's good. Day three, land and sea and plants and trees, it's good. Day four, sun and the moon, it's good. Day five, birds and fish, it's good. Day six, he, he creates animals and insects, and then he makes mankind, and it says, very good. Day seven, he rested. Now, what's interesting is that he Day one, two, three, all the way through, he says, good, 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 good. He gets to day six, he says, very good. But then something interesting happens in chapter two. In chapter two, verse 18, he's looking at Adam and he says, not good. He says, not good. Verse 18 of chapter two says, it's not good that man be, what, alone. Isolation. It's the first problem that, that, that comes. Now, what we have to understand is this, is because it can be very confusing because you read chapter one and you see that on day six, he created male and female. And we're gonna read that in just a moment, that he actually creates male and female. But again, that's an overview. Chapter two gives us more specific and more detail of creation, especially when it comes to day Day six. So let's, let's look at this together for just a moment. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26 to 28, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image 
to be like us, and they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. So again, this is found in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, but then in Genesis 2, 18, God looks at Adam and says, it's not good that man be alone. So at some point, what happens here and what we know through the details of this is that God created Adam first. He created Adam first. That Adam was created from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed life into his nostrils. But then at some point of day six, God looked at Adam and said, not good. Because Adam was what? Alone. So then we, we know that what happened as a result is verse 21 and 22, that God causes Adam to go into a deep sleep. Ladies, let me just say this. Don't hold it against men. Since creation, we've been able to sleep really well, okay? Guys get to sleep really well. I fall asleep easy. My wife doesn't, she doesn't like that very much. But he causes Adam to go into a deep sleep and he takes, what, the rib and then he forms Eve out of Adam and then he brings Eve to him. Why? Because it was not good that he be alone. Now, why did God say that it's not good for man to be alone? Well, again, the answer really is found in verse 1 of Genesis 1 and what we just read in verse 26 to 28. Verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, from the beginning, God created. And then as we read Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it says, then God said, let us, somebody say us, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You see, the reason why God said it's not good for man to be alone is because God himself has never done life alone. We know it as the Trinity. It's God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in relationship and union with one another from the very beginning. And all three of them had distinct roles and functions in creation. God himself has been in relationship from the beginning. And so when he saw that there was a moment in time where Adam was alone and he was with animals and there was no one suitable or like him, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. But praise God that he found a solution to that and he created Eve. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, what's interesting here is that in Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 25, when Eve was created, what we hear and what we know is that the Bible says that both Eve and Adam were fully naked and fully exposed and that there was no shame. Now, this is super important because of the fact that what this shows is that they were fully known to God and they were also fully known to each other, fully naked and fully exposed. There was nothing hidden in their relationship with God, and there was nothing hidden in their relationship with one another. And that's an amazing thing, but sadly, it didn't last long. Because in chapter three of Genesis, we know of the fall of man, that sin enters the world. But here's the thing, when sin enters the world in chapter three, the breakdown is all relational. It's all fig leaves and, and, and hiding. Adam blames Eve, Eve's blaming the serpent. 
where they're once fellowshipping with God, now they're hiding from God. It's all relational. And then obviously when, 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 they're, when they're, they're kicked out of, of the Garden of Eden, that means they were separated from God's presence, which is what? Relational. And then in chapter four, this continues with Cain and Abel. And if you know the story of Cain and Abel, obviously then what happens here is that Cain had, the Bible says he had no regard or no respect for the things of, of God. And as a result, he came, became very angry and very bitter and dejected and so forth. And he goes out and he kills his, his brother Abel. And as a result of doing that, he becomes an outcast. And it's in verse 14 of that chapter, Cain says the punishment, he tells God the punishment is too much to bear. It's too much to bear. What was the punishment? The punishment was this. I'm going to read it to you in verse 14. He says, I will be hidden from your face, which is from your presence, and I will be a homeless wanderer, and anyone that finds me will kill me. Cain had enough understanding that he knew that doing life alone was not the way that God designed it to happen. And that loneliness was actually a death sentence, both spiritually and physically, because of the fact that he would be outside of God's presence, but also that men would find him to kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but if being isolated wasn't good then, then I'm pretty sure that being isolated and alone is not good now. It's not good now. And why is that? Well, let me just help you. There's so many ways that we could go with this today, but, but this is what I felt to do. But here's why. is because loneliness is the opposite of human flourishing. Loneliness is the opposite of human flourishing. Pastor Luke mentioned it a while ago, and if you've been around Center Branch just even for a few weeks, you've heard us say this because we say it all the time, and there's a reason we say it all the time, but Psalm 92, planted in the house of the Lord, you will what? Flourish in the courts of God. Other versions say, connected in the house of the Lord, you will grow strong in the presence of God. You see, God designed for us to be fruitful and to multiply. God designed for us to flourish. But the only way that we can flourish is if we're connected. If we're connected to God and we're connected to each other relationally. Amen. And, and, and that's, that's, that's the plan of God. It's connection. It's not good that anybody would be alone. Now, you know, I don't want to harp on this too long. But I think it's important that we, we mention this is that in some, at some point in life, I think we've all probably felt lonely. You might have been around people, but maybe you felt unnoticed or unseen or unknown, unimportant. Because I don't know if you've realized this or not, but you know you could be standing in the middle of a crowd and still feel lonely. Just like this morning, we, we got a lot of people in the room, but there could be people in this room this morning that feel Lonely, even though they're surrounded, what? By people. And the reason why is because the devil fights hard to force people into isolation. The devil fights hard to, to, to force people into isolation because he knows 
that if he can get people to be isolated and alone in their life, they become vulnerable. And not only that, he also knows that it will rob them of their destiny, of them fulfilling their God-given purpose in life because your destiny and your purpose is connected to God and to other people. So he knows if he can get people isolated, that it will rob them of fulfilling their God-given destiny and purpose, and that also it could become a death sentence for them, both spiritually and physically. Since 2017, we've actually been living in a six-plus-year span of the average American life expectancy that's trending downward rapidly. And the result of this is really because of young people, young people that are dying due to alcohol abuse, suicide, and even drug overdoses, all, that are, all things that are preventable issues, but they stem from isolation and loneliness. The enemy is fighting hard to force people into isolation. And it's not just physical distance. Listen to me. It's not just physical distance. Because you could be in a room like this today and say, you know what, I'm surrounded by people, so technically I'm not really isolated, but you know what you could do? You could be isolated on the inside. You could be shut down on the inside. You could be keeping anybody from getting close to you. You could be keeping anybody from opening your heart to people. Whatever that looks like relationally, you could isolate yourself, not just on the outside, but you can isolate yourself on the inside. And when you do that, you are vulnerable. You know, I've been there before. When my dad died at a young age, I mean, I'm very close to my family. I've always been close to my family. And I've had friends throughout my life, and I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. But when my dad died, I had never experienced so much fear in all of my life. The day that he died, the days after he died, man, I was fearful Fear gripped my life, and what happened as a result, I began to isolate myself. More so from the outside as it was on the inside, I began to separate and distance myself from my family, and instead of opening up, I closed up on the inside, and I isolated myself. And let me tell you something, it brought me to my lowest point in life where I attempted to take my life several times. I found myself in this position of isolation where I was suicidal having a call of God on my life, knowing that God had called me from a young age, knowing that I was to be in full-time ministry. All these things are on the line and the devil's trying to rob me of these things. Why? Because of isolation. And it wasn't until I realized that I've got to open myself back up and I've got to have people in my life that I can be honest with and I can trust and I begin to share with my my feelings and how I'm feeling and, and, and not be ashamed of those things, but allow someone to help me is when I found freedom through relationship, through connection. Are you with me? What's interesting is that sociologists are calling it the epidemic of loneliness. More people depressed than ever before, stressed than ever before, full of anxiety than ever ever before, and they're calling it the epidemic of loneliness. Also, I think what's funny is psychiatrists and sociologists have been trying to figure out a solution for this for a while, and now they're calling it social prescribing. And what they've understood now at this point is that medicine doesn't work. 
Medicine is just a mask to all these things of people feeling lonely and depressed and everything else that, that you know what they're saying is the answer? People. They're saying the answer is people. It's, it's authentic connection, physical connections and relationship with other people. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read here for just a moment, verse 12 through 27. It says, for just as the body is a unit and yet has many parts and all the parts, though many form only one body. So it is with Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one for by means of a personal agency of the Holy Spirit, we are all, whether Jew or Greek, slaves or free, baptized and by this baptism united together into one body and all made to drink of one Holy Spirit for the body does not consist of one limb or organ, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, would it therefore not be a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, would it therefore not be a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, would, would, would it be the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed and arranged the limbs and the organs in the body, each particular one of them, just as he wished and saw fit with the best adaption. But if the whole were all a single organ, where would the body be? And now there are certainly many limbs and organs, but a single body. And the eye is not able to say to the hand that I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But instead, there is absolute necessity for the parts of the body that are considered the more weak. And these parts of the body which are considered rather uh, um, ignoble are the very parts which we invest in our additional honor and our unseen, unseemly parts and those unsuitable for exposure are treated with seamlessness, modesty, and decorum, which are more presentable parts they do not require. But God has so adjusted harmonized, proportioned the parts of the whole body, given the greater honor and richer endowment to the inferior parts which lack apparent importance. Verse 25, so that there should be no division or discord or lack or adaption of the parts of the body to each other. But the members are all alike, should have a mutual interest in and care for one another. And if one member suffers all the parts, they suffer. If one member is honored, all the members share in the enjoyment of it. Now you collectively are Christ's body and individually you are members of it, each part severally and distinct, each with its own place and with its own function. It's a very pow powerful passage of scripture. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I taught on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 one time. And I don't know if you like puzzles, if there's any puzzle lovers in the room. I'm, I'm not a puzzle guy, but I bought one just for a quick illustration. So if you don't like puzzles, maybe at least like hot rods. Uh, I got a picture of hot rods for you on this puzzle. Um, but I've got a thousand piece puzzle here. And when I was a youth pastor and I taught on this uh, passage of scripture, what I did was every, when the students came into youth ministry that night, uh, I had, a, I had a, a certain 
you know, puzzle piece. It wasn't a thousand pieces because we didn't have a thousand students, uh, but it's probably like a 50 or 75 uh, piece puzzle. And I handed a, a piece of the puzzle to every student when they walked into the door. And I just said, hey, hold on to this piece of the puzzle. And then we're going to do something here in just a little bit with it. So don't lose your piece of the puzzle and so forth. And so they did that. And then when we went to start the service that night, uh, I told all the students, hey, you got a, a piece of the puzzle and uh, hold up your piece. And so, you know, they took their, their piece of the puzzle and they held it up like this. And I said, all right, I want you to go around the room and I want you to try to find uh, a person that your piece connects with. And so they went around the room and they're trying to find each other and they're trying to put their pieces together and they're trying to see if the, their pieces connect with the other, other one and stuff. And at first there was a little bit of frustration and stuff like that, but then they started to find people that they connected with. And what was cool about it was that not only did they start with finding one, but then it went from one to three, three to four, four to five. They started grouping up and then they were like growing the piece of the puzzle. And then eventually what they did was it was getting so large that everybody came up to the, to the stage and they just put the puzzle down and they started to complete the puzzle together. Now, what they didn't know was this, is that when they got to the very end, there was one piece missing. And they were like going around looking all over the sanctuary for it, looking under the chairs, on the chairs. They were asking everybody like, hey, who didn't give their piece of the puzzle and all of that? And all of a sudden, I pulled out of my pocket the missing piece. And what we illustrated that day was that every one of us are a piece, we're a piece of the puzzle. Every one of us are a part of the body of Christ. But guess what? That picture that it's supposed to look like when it's complete is incomplete if there's a missing piece. If there's just one piece that's missing, the puzzle is incomplete. And so then I brought over that missing piece and I put it down and they were all excited of the fact that the puzzle was now complete. And so I, I highlighted this uh, to those guys and I was thinking about this the other day is that every piece is needed in order to complete the puzzle. Every piece is unique in its shape, in its size, and in its color, which means that our, our indifferences are not weaknesses, they're strengths. Amen. The fact that we're not made alike is a good thing, not a bad thing. That no piece has more or less value than the other, because when you're connected to the body of Christ, every part of the body is equally important. And then when there's a piece missing or we reject a piece, the whole picture suffers. And then the last thing that I pointed out that day, and I'm not going to do this because I don't want Mr. Tom to get mad at me, but uh, as I said, united we attract, but divided we distract. What are we displaying? And so obviously what I did was I, op I took the puzzle and I just threw all the pieces all over the floor. And I asked the students that, that day, I said, now what makes more sense to people that are coming into this house? This, which looks like a mess and it's pieces all over the floor, it looks like chaos and disunity and we're not connected together, or this? A complete picture of a puzzle that's supposed to be united and connected together. What's gonna attract people more? What's gonna speak more? What's gonna point, Jesus, point people to Jesus more? This chaos of disconnection or this of connection? 
And so I just wanted to share that with you this morning because in 1 Corinthians 12, we're encouraged that we are all members and parts of the body of Christ and that each of us are unique in our role, in our function. And guess what? We need each other because the body would be incomplete without you or without each part. I could take this example of a, of a hand and an arm. Obviously, we know that the hand on the body is connected, what, to the arm. It's very important, this relationship of the hand connected to the arm. They rely on each other. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive with this illustration, so please don't, don't take that. But it's just something that I thought about is this, is that if a young child, for whatever reason, would have some type of dramatic experience or, or trauma issue in their life when they're, they're a young child, and, and, and they would lose their hand, Obviously, they're still young. They haven't fully grown yet, and they haven't fully developed yet. So for whatever reason, through some type of accident or whatever, they would lose their hand. Well, then as they grow with time, their body is going to continue to grow, and the parts of their body are going to continue to grow, but that one area of their body is not going to grow. And that's what Christians try to do sometimes, is they're trying to pursue their God-given full potential disconnected, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The rest of the body will continue to grow, but you won't grow unless you get connected to the body. You won't grow and you won't flourish unless you're connected. It doesn't work disconnected. Look at your neighbor and say, it doesn't work disconnected. And here's the thing is in relationship and in community is when we truly discover who we are. It's truly who we discover who we are. You know, when you're not connected to the body, it'll be difficult for you to understand what your role, your function, and your value is because those things are revealed in relationship to God and in relationship with one another. And I would even go as far to say this, it's not just connection, but it's also cooperation. It's also cooperation. Could you imagine if the body, if an organ started to rebel against the other, it's gonna cause chaos. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the other part of the body if all of a sudden one organ decides it wants to go rogue. Are you with me? Right? So it's not just connection, but it's also cooperation. We're, we're cooperating with each other as parts of the body, body of Christ. I love what Romans chapter 12 says in verse 4 and 5 because we get the same illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 as the, as the body and each of us being members of it. But listen to this one part here. I'm going to read it in Romans chapter 12, and it comes really from verse 5. I love this. It says, each one of us is joined with another, and we become together what we could not be alone. We become together what we could not be alone. You know, the reality is this, I need you and you need me. That is the reality. Why? Because that is how we were created to be. We're made in the image and we're made in the likeness of God. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, guess what? They relied and needed each other. There was a relationship and a connection there. And the same is with you and I. I need you and you need me. Do me a favor, look at the person to your right and say, I need you. Hopefully that's your spouse, I don't know. Okay, look at the person to your left. Look at your person to your left now and say, you need me. 
Okay, I will say this. That's probably, some, that's probably the most intimate and romantic some of you married couples have been in several months right there. And not only that, I think some of you single people might have just gotten a date. You're welcome. All right? <laughs> now, the book of Acts gives us the greatest model. The book of Acts gives us the greatest model to ever, ever exist on how we can truly be fruitful and that we can multiply individually and corporately. Because listen, can I just tell you this? I'm not wanting to be a selfish person and just grab hold of a 2024 word that God has given to our pastor for us. I don't want to take that just selfishly. I don't want that just to be for my own life that I'm being fruitful and multiply or for my own family. I want that for you. And hopefully you're taking it that same way that you don't want it just for you. You want it for everybody else that's part of this church. And not just this church. Let's believe God for other churches and the body of Christ in general. Are you with me? That this is the greatest year that the body of Christ everywhere will be fruitful and to multiply. But the greatest model really is found in, in Acts chapter, um, in chapter 5. But before we go to that verse, we get this model of, of how we can be fruitful and how we can multiply. In Acts chapter one, I just want to point this out real quick. I'm going to read verse five or chapter five, 42 in a moment. But in Acts chapter one, you've got 120 believers. These are the core, the core believers that went to the upper room. Other people could have went, but 120 went to the upper room. They obeyed God's command. They went up in the other room, upper room. They were of one heart, one mind. They were in unison with one purpose. So in Acts chapter one, you've got 120 believers meeting in a room together. By Acts chapter four, we're told that there's 5,000 men, 5,000. Now, some scholars actually say with women and children, there was up to 15,000 at this point. So we go from 120 to now up to 15,000 from Acts chapter one to Acts chapter four. But then by Acts chapter 21, verse 21, now there's tens of thousands the Bible actually tells us um, that there, or scholars actually say that there's actually between 50 and 100,000 by this time. So think about this for just a moment. At minimal, at minimal, the body of Christ grew from 120 to 50,000 plus in a span of only 25 years. That's amazing. That is amazing. I don't know about you, but that, that's success. That's kingdom success right there. And if it has a model for that that happened for them in the early church, then I want to know what that model is. So let's, let's look at it together. This is how it happened. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. It says, every day in the temple, which is in the house of God. That's where we're at right now. We're in the temple. Right now we're meeting together in the house of God. And from house to house which versions show very clearly that is in people's homes. They continued to, uh, to teach and to preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. So the model for supernatural growth, for fruitfulness and multiplication and how you flourish, the model that God originally gave to the church was that number one, you met in large groups in the house of God, but then you also meet in small groups in people's homes. Now, I like to use this term in uh, rows and circles. I like the term rows and circles. Today, you know what we're doing? We're meeting in rows. 
You're meeting in rows. You're sitting next to people side by side and you're meeting in the house of God in rows. And there's fellowship that happens. There's relationship that happens. And here's the thing. Both are very important. Both are very important to the life of every believer. It's not picking one or the other. It's and and both. It's both. Are you with me? It's not just saying, oh, I'll just do this and not do this, or I'll do this and I'll not do that. No. The Bible's model, God's model, God's design is that they met every day together in the temple, in the house of God, but they also met in people's homes. They did, they did both. And today we're meeting in the house of God. We're meeting in rows together. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that are very important Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love this in the Amplified Version because the latter part of this says, encouraging one another all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. All the more faithfully. I don't know about you, but I believe that the signs are pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then according to scripture, all the more faithfully should we be gathering together. Not less, but more. Can somebody say more? All the more faithfully, faithful that we're coming to the house of God every time we have that opportunity for a church service that we're gathering together and we're coming together in the house of God, but also all the more faithfully what? That we're also meeting in circles in personal relationship with one another in people's homes. And we're talking about that. Ephesians 4.11 says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their responsibilities to equip God's people to do his work or to do the work of the ministry and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, why don't I point that out? Because again, coming together in the house of God, meeting together in rows is important because God has given us the gift of a, of a pastor. And the gift of a pastor's role primarily is to equip the saints, to equip you and I to do the work of the ministry. That tells me that if we don't come into the house of God and we don't take time to value sitting under the knee, underneath the gift of our pastor, then guess what? We will not be equipped properly to do the work of the ministry. It doesn't work doing it without a pastor. It doesn't work doing it without a church. It doesn't doing it without doing it together as a body. I don't know about you, but I need to be equipped. I've not arrived to maturity yet. I've not come to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I need all the equipping that I can get. And I value, and I don't say this, I don't say, say this to promote a man. I value the gift of a pastor in my life. Because beyond a man with a name called Luke, he is a son of God that has been called and anointed and positioned by God with an anointing and an assignment, a mandate to lead this body for the purpose of equipping the people that call this home. 
And I want that and I need that and I hope that you want that, you need that too and that we value the fact that we get the opportunity to come together and to be equipped. But also the, a pastor is not just equipping to do the work of the ministry. A pastor's role is to build up the church. Also to help create unity in the body and to help us to become, what I said a while ago, mature. Did you know that if you don't, value and you don't come to church and you don't value coming to church and you just do it every once in a while when it's convenient and things like that, you're hurting your maturity. You're hurting your maturity because we all need to be mature. We all need to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and and coming to the house of God plays a huge part of that in our lives. And then I'm going to mention this one more time, Psalm 92, 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, those who are connected in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall grow strong in God's presence. You know, when we come here in rows, when we come together in church, large group settings, it's not only just for equipping this fellowship that happens here too. If you come early, you can fellowship. If you stay after, you can fellowship. If you come to other church events throughout the year, you can fellowship also in this setting with one another. Also, it's a great way for us to serve one another. We serve one another when we come in large group settings. How do we do that? By, By serving on the dream team. It's one amazing way that we can have relationship and connection with one another in a large group setting. Now, in a few weeks from now, on February the 18th, guess what? We're gonna have an opportunity to meet in circles, which is the other part of Acts chapter 5, 42, which is to meet in small groups. And and here at Center Branch Church, we call small groups connect groups. That's what we call them. Why? Because it's about connection, amen? The whole purpose of what we're trying to do is to connect people to the newness of life found only in Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we just stick with that word connect because it's a Bible word connect. It's what we're all called to do. It's how we're designed. And so we call those connect groups. And on February the 18th, we're gonna launch our spring semester of connect groups. And maybe you've seen it on the wall. Maybe you've seen it on the website. Maybe you've seen it in the bulletin, but we've got a vision that the Lord has given to our pastor when it comes to this. And number one in the house, we're believing to be a thousand strong on any given Sunday. You know, I I didn't point this out. Maybe I did, but when I chose this puzzle, talking about all the different parts and the connection of different parts, I purposely looked for a puzzle that was a thousand pieces. Why? Because this is where we're heading. This is where we're going. Why? Because this is the vision that God has given to our pastor. A thousand strong. Amen. A thousand people connecting together. And that's not the stopping point. You've heard pastors say that. Then from thousand, then we're going to just adjust it from there. But also when it comes to circles, when it comes to connect groups, you see it on the wall, 100. What is that? 100 groups is a vision right now that we have. Families within the family. That's what we're, what we're striving for. What we're looking for is that we have 100 connect groups, families within the families, because we believe that true life change happens in community. True life change happens in the context of relationships. And here at Center Branch Church, this is also how we make more and better disciples. Connect groups. It's how we make more and better disciples. 
See, we want you to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ, but guess what? We don't want the focus just to always stay on you either. We wanna make more disciples. We wanna be getting more people into the house and getting them saved and then helping to raise them up and to develop them and to see them discipled in the things of God. Also, connect groups are a place where you are known, loved, and cared for. So I wanna just take a moment to talk about that for just a quick second. Known. Colossians chapter four, verse 12 to 13. This verse is a powerful verse, but it says Epaphras. Most of you guys have never even heard of Epaphras. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. One version actually says that you stand firm and mature in your spiritual growth. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. I don't know about you, but I need some Epaphrases in my life. You need some Epaphrases in your life. People that are committed to pray for you, that you would grow strong and stand strong in your faith and in your relationship with God, and that you would come to full maturity in God. Somebody that knows you by name. Somebody that knows you, they know your weaknesses, they know your strengths, and guess what? They love you. They still love you. Isn't that Jesus, John chapter 15? For he says what? I know you, I love you, I choose you. It's a place where you can be known, loved. Matthew 22, 36 to 40 says, teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, for this is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important that you love your neighbor as yourself. For the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two Commandments. So we notice here is that it's a place for you to be loved. It's, it's a place where not only do you love God and you grow in your love for God, but it's a place for you to be able to love, to love others and to grow in your love for other people. I love this here that John 15, 13, Jesus says, no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for your friends. Verse nine of John 15, Jesus says, I love you as the father has loved me. This is so powerful because Jesus gave what he was given. He was given love from the Father, so he turned around and he then gave love to other people. You know, at one time I had somebody come to me. This was years ago, uh, and I, I just remembered this. Is I had somebody come to me years ago, and they said, how can I truly love people when I've never been given love? And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? And I was like, aren't you, you're saved, aren't you? Yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved. You accepted Jesus. Yeah, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And also, so then what are you talking about? Well, I grew up in a broken home. I was never given love by my dad. I was never given love by my mom. I, I was never loved by, and I said, no, 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 listen, you got it all wrong. You don't wait. You don't have to wait to receive love from man in order to give love to people. Because if you're, a, if you're saved, then God has given you love because he is love. And you've got all the love that you need to be able to give to other people. I don't know if that's you today, but maybe you needed to hear that for just a quick moment, is that it's possible for you to love people regardless of what your, what your life has been like, regardless of what you've experienced in this natural life. If you've got Jesus Christ, you've got love to give to other people. Amen.
and then cared for. And I'm not gonna read this one, but in Mark chapter two, it's one of my favorite, favorite stories of the Bible. Mark chapter two, one through four, is the story of, of those four amazing friends that carry their friend who's paralyzed on the mat. Now, this is such a powerful story because uh, in verse one, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus returns to Capernaum. And when he returns to Capernaum, that rumor spread that Jesus was in the house. And so as a result of people hearing that Jesus was in the house, uh, I, I got, people gathered together. And the Bible says that they filled the house so full that there was no more room for anybody else. In fact, if you look at different versions of that and really studied that out, it wasn't just a packed out room. It actually, there was no room in the doorway. It began to actually overflow into the streets. And let me just say this for a side note for just a moment is that it's gonna be rumored in all of Bridgeport, it's gonna be rumored in all of Clarksburg, it's gonna be rumored in all of the state of West Virginia that Jesus is in the house. That Jesus is in the house. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. People are gonna gather here from all lifestyles and backgrounds to experience what God is doing in this house. It's gonna happen. It's our year for fruitfulness, it's our year for multiplication, not because of us, but because of the kingdom of God. It's what we're made for. It's what we're designed for. But this is such a powerful story. So he, they, they go and they grab their friend who's paralyzed on this mat. And obviously they can't get through the crowd. And so they come up with this idea to go up on the roof, if you know the story. And, and this is so powerful because it's talking about care. Caring for their friend, caring for one another. They weren't going to allow obstacles to hinder or stop their friend from getting in the presence of Jesus and receiving what only Jesus could provide for him. You see, this man wasn't just lying on a mat. This man lived on the mat. He was paralyzed. This was his lifestyle. So they were determined to find a way to go up there and they didn't care how dirty it got. They didn't care how messy it got because they had to dig through that roof in order to lower their friend down into the presence of Jesus. And we know the story is that when he did that, he received, he received his healing. Care. You know, we're called to carry each other's mats. We're called to help each other. And mats can represent so many things. It can represent brokenness, loneliness, sickness, struggle, pain, what addiction, it, it, it can represent so many things. We're called to come alongside of each other and help carry each other's, each other's mats. So as I begin to wrap this up in just a few moments, I just want to encourage you with one thing. Look at Philippians chapter two with me for a moment. Philippians two, one through five, it says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, or any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent of one purpose, and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourself, and do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And have this attitude in yourself in your relationship with others, which was also in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So the natural tendency here for just a moment when we think about coming to church or even getting into a connect group, into a small group, is how does this benefit me? What can I get from it? 
And I wanna challenge us this morning in that mindset is to not think about it from the side of how can it benefit you and what can you get out of it. But I wanna challenge that your mindset would actually flip to how can God use me to minister to other people? How can God use me in a church setting? How can God use me in a small group setting to actually connect with other people so that I can help make their life better? How can I help other people to feel known and loved and cared for? Amen? Pastor Luke has said this many times. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. In order for our church to be healthy, we've got to grow larger and we've got to also grow smaller at the same time. And the reason why is because we've got to grow larger because people matter, but we've got to grow smaller because you matter. Every individual person matters. Are you with me? And nothing grows alone. The biblical model, the, the mandate of God, that how we're designed is that God is looking for quality and he's also looking for quantity. God is actually, both of those things are important to God. It's not one or the other, it's both. God is wanting quality and he's also wanting quantity. And the model that we can have that is to connect together, coming in large group settings and also connecting together in small group settings. Because guess what? We're gonna grow in quantity while we're also growing in quality. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, I've asked Zach Lilly. Where's Zach at? If Zach can come up, give him a good hand clap for just a moment. <clears throat> you may or may not know this man, but uh, he shreds a really good guitar up on our worship team. Um, he's amazing. But I've asked him just to take a moment and share with you just how connect groups and being in a connect group um, has uh, ministered to him and his family. Yeah. Uh, as he said, my name is Zach Lilly, and um, my wife and I and three kids um, have been blessed to be planted here, uh, going on a year here soon, and uh, coming up at Easter. And um, so when we came here, I, uh, I didn't know what God was going to do or how he was going to move, and uh, so I just really gave it to God and said, you know, um, I'm just happy to sit in the back and listen, soak it in, and just just love on people as as I get to meet them and uh, and and encounter with them. And you know, uh, as God does, He did it way faster than I even imagined. We've been blessed to uh, you know be on the dream team and, I, and and the worship team, and my wife serving with the children and stuff. And uh, it, it's been amazing. And so. Um, uh, when it was time, you know, signups, connect group and all that stuff, my wife and I were talking about it. And, and to be honest, we were a little nervous. You know, we've got a really busy schedule and it was something that we were thinking like, you know, how come, you know, how, how we're going to, you know, we really want to do this. How are we going to make this work with our schedule and stuff? And, uh, and as always, the Lord just really, you know, really provided. We had a lot of great people reach out to us and, uh, and one being Pastor Luke and, uh, and, and it was, we were really excited to do it. And as we did, obviously found out that it, um, so relatable as everybody here is, but that you know, uh, to your schedule and stuff like that, you know, it was it wasn't anything that was that was hard for us or or stressful or anything like that. And so as we uh, embarked um, in doing that, you know, we were just truly blessed uh, to do that. And uh, I made some notes, and we, we joked about making notes. Look at that, because uh, God did start laying some stuff on my heart to share with you all. And then you know, you can forget some stuff, but um, you know. 
you know, the amazing people that you get to know, grow, and share with, it's a chance to grow together, uh, to share your, your spiritual progress, your unusual spiritual progress, um, the love and accountability, you know, from others, um, allowing time for God to move greatly in your life, in your marriage, in your family, uh, feeling loved, especially as a married couple and a family, you know, being around other married couples, or if you're single, you know, other single people, um, it, it, you know, really fellowshipping, breaking bread together. Together, how important that is. Um, you know, a, a reminder as uh, Pastor Chad and I were talking about that you're not alone, even as a married couple, that everyone goes through things and you're not going through this alone. Um, and then, it, you know, um, we go through real life and we got to read a really cool book and uh, uh, real real marriage, you know, real things that you encounter and stuff. And so, and, and last I have down, and it's so important, is joy. The, the joy that you can get from these connect groups, just sharing time with each other and uh, things that you're going through together and laugh together. And uh, I know just things, you know, um, you know, we're potty training our youngest, right? And, uh, and potty training him at your house, you know what I mean? Just crack me up, you know, having to run to the bathroom every, you know, uh, amazing time. But, um, you know, and our kids, our kids really enjoyed it. They couldn't, you know, they were always excited. If there was a time that we thought like, you know, we're not gonna take the kids, I'll just have, you know, my folks watch or whatever, you know, they were upset if they couldn't get to go. They really enjoyed it as well. So, you know, more importantly uh, is that you get to do these things for other people and you get to be a joy to others and you get to bless others and you really get to impart. And if, you know, it's something that you don't get hooked up with, that you don't, you don't, you don't, you're missing out, but others are missing out because they don't get the blessing from you as well. So it's been something that's really blessed our lives and hopefully we were able to bless other people as well and, and get to continue to do so. That's awesome. So listen, you know, you have this opportunity to connect in a connect group here in a couple of weeks and it's ministry. It's ministry. A lot of people are like, hey, I want ministry. This is ministry. It's an opportunity for you to be able to help people to be known, to be loved, to be cared for, to help to um, disciple people and to help you know, raise up new disciples and stuff like that. Now, as I close here, the foundational human need for connection is displayed through the pages, throughout the pages of the Bible. But I think one of the most powerful examples of this really is found in how Jesus spent his last night before going to the cross. You can find this in all, all the different references of, of, of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What we know is through the Bible is that Jesus is fully human. He's fully God, but he's also fully human. And after the Passover meal, Jesus wants to go and pray. He wants to go and get with the Father and pray because he knows just hours away he's about to face the cross. But what I find very interesting as I'm reading it is that he didn't want to go alone. Different accounts, different versions, depending on what you read, is, shows that the disciples went and some disciples, he said, you sit here. But what we also know is that he looked at his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and he said, the three of you, you come with me. In a moment where he was about to face probably the hardest decision as a man on this earth, he didn't want to do it alone. 
he did it with those closest to him nearby. And he says to him, this is what he says and read different versions of it, but he's basically, he says, stay here and watch with me. Stay here and watch with me. I believe that the reason we give that account is not just to drive home the importance of our connection and our relationships and how important and how vital they are, that we don't do life alone. But I believe that even the temptation that Jesus faced would have been greater than what it already was had he been alone. I believe he found comfort in the fact that he was able to go to the Father, but also that he had his closest friends nearby. You know, the amazing thing is that we don't have to do life alone. John Wesley said this, he said, you must find companions or make them. For the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The amazing thing is that we, are, we have a room full of companions here today for you to connect with. People that want to do life with you. People that want you to be known and to loved and to be cared for. We can do life together. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I want to encourage us today. Let's go together. Let's do this together. Let's, let's connect and let's go far together for the purposes of what God has for us here at Center Branch and for our lives that each of us are a unique part, a special part, a vital part. Let's connect and let's cooperate with one another and let's go far. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.